Heavenly Father, we come before you getting to sing those words in confidence. Um, And I pray that our hearts would believe what our mouths just said. That we are free in you. That we are your children. That we are who you say we are. God, I I lift up this morning to you as our Heavenly Father, as the one that we turn to to understand what fatherhood is even about and what it looks like, God. We praise you uh, for you. You are always with us and you are always good. Uh, Father, we give up our time to you as we open our hearts and our minds and the Bible before you and are just asking God, uh, uh, fathers in the room, mothers in the room, uh, men, women, young, old, whoever we might be, whatever ailments we might bring in, God, would you meet us here as our heavenly father, as your children and have your way amongst us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Be seated. Good morning. So if you are to come to my office and you look over on the side, I've got these little cowboy boots. It's not my first pair, Jimmy. Let me tell you, I did wear, I did wear my boots. Can you imagine? My dad's dad died when, when my dad was one years old. And uh, my dad was born on a ranch in New Mexico. And the, the Markham boys were all gigantic farmers and ranchers in New Mexico at the time. They're all like ranchers that are six, seven, six, eight, six, nine. They're huge. Uh, and my dad's dad, uh, Gene, died uh, of, of, a, of a heart attack, or excuse me, of cancer. Uh, he was, my dad was his only son. The only gift that my dad ever had that his dad gave to him before he passed away were these pair of cowboy boots. Yeah. And so when my youngest son was born, my dad drove up in um, to Arkansas, where we were living at the time, and he gave them to me to pass on uh, to my boys that are there. Um, and and it, as for most of us, you say the word father, and it brings up a variety of different emotions, some good, some bad, right? Uh, all of our earthly fathers are, are not perfect, uh, but praise be to God, we have a perfect heavenly father. Uh, Father's Day always brings up a, a world of emotions. I thought Fred did a good job of, of hitting on that, 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 uh, that some of those emotions are great for some of us. Uh, some of them, they can be painful. Um, but but here, here, is, here is what I know, uh, is that um, we, we use the word Father for God because Jesus told us that's our right to do so. And in fact, the, the word that, that Jesus uses, Abba, in Greek is a very intimate word for father. It's not even a, a formal word. It is something probably more akin to daddy, which I, I rather like. Um, and so the, the picture there for all of us is that if you have accepted Jesus as your savior, that the God of the universe becomes something far more intimate and close and involved in your life uh, than, than the God way out there. He becomes a, a daddy. He becomes your, your, your father in a very real sense who is always with you. And, and while today's sermon is not on, on fatherhood here on earth, it is on the heavenly fatherhood of our heavenly father. And so as we lean into this, I think there's something for each of us as we continue in our series in the book of Acts. If you've been with us, we've started this series out 
seeing that, uh, and we really, because this is what the book of Acts is about, is the, the Holy Spirit showing up uh, in the lives of God's people for the first time. And so we have been really having a study of the Holy Spirit and, and what that looked like in the early days and what we can glean from that. Last week, we saw the birthplace of the church, and we saw how the church came uh, to be about and what they, what they committed themselves to in those, in those first days. Uh, and we ended with seeing that the Lord was adding to their number daily at the end of Acts chapter 2. Uh, and we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 3 this morning as we turn our attention to an, an amazing miracle uh, and that, that God does uh, in the very early stages of the church. So turn with me there, Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1 and reading through verse 10. There are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Grab one, join us. Uh, it'll be up on the screen as well. Starting in chapter 3 in Acts, we, we read, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he, he went uh, with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God, and when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What an awesome story. What an awesome story. By the way, I, I named the sermon The Anatomy of a Miracle, and I, I almost regret naming that. I, I want to point out something uh, that I find interesting here, that we left off last week with, with seeing that, that Luke, who writes Acts, says that the first church was filled with awe and wonder and because many signs and wonders were being done amongst them. I like that Luke doesn't use the word miracle. It might be semantics, but I think miracles, we, we use the word miracle because they don't have an explanation, right? This type of work it was miraculous, but in, in Luke's mind and how we're to understand it is it has a total explanation. There is an ex this is more of a sign and a wonder of God's goodness. Does that make sense? That, that we're not just describing this as to some medical mi miracle that happened that we can't explain. Dr. Luke wants us to know. He is a medical doctor. He wants us to know, hey, no, this is a sign and a wonder that points to the goodness of Jesus. And he said that there were many signs and wonders. And then he chooses to expound on this one. So there might have been many that he could have chosen from that he, he, he said, let's, let's take a, a deep dive. And he chooses this one. There might be a variety of reasons why, but what we'll see in the, in the coming weeks 
is that this particular miracle causes a stir, probably because of where it happened. It happened right in the, in the Jewish temple courts, right there amongst the, the, the Jewish leaders who had had Jesus killed. And so what, what we see in, in all of this um, is, is a picture of, of something that, that is going to propel the church into the forefront of, of Jewish mind as if it already wasn't there uh, because of Pentecost. And so this was a, a major miracle. We also think that maybe, maybe Luke chose this miracle because it, it has a, a medical component to it. As a doctor, we'll see, and we're going to walk through the different body parts that he, he kind of picks out, the anatomy of what is happening here. But as we do it, it's not the anatomy of the person that I want us to focus in on. It's actually the anatomy of what happens here, of God's movement. Because I think there are components within this story that each of us can begin to glean from, um, that, that we might see and recognize God's movement in our own lives in big and small ways. Um, and, and we'll end with a little bit of role play this morning and some worship. And so that, that, is, that is where we are, are headed this morning. I also want to point out, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I find it interesting, that Peter and John are going to the temple at the time of prayer. There were, there were set points of prayer for the Jewish man and, and to go into the temple courts to pray. Um, they go to the time of prayer. What's interesting about that is that they didn't go to the time of sacrifice. All their life, before you had gone into for a time of prayer, you would first go for the time of sacrifice, and then you would go into prayer, Does that, because the sacrifice was to cover your sins. I find it interesting, and Peter and John didn't do that. They had no more need for that, right? The sacrifice had once and all been paid, so they just show up for prayer time afterwards. I don't need you to pay anything for me. I already know who the, the original sacrifice was, right? Which is why we have the right to enter in just right into worship, watch a goofy video, open our mouth, start praising, and we're already in God's presence, right? Because the, the sacrifice has already been paid. There's no, no hoops that we have to jump through in order to get there. That, that we have the right to open our mouth and praise and know that God is there. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to walk through four different anatomy parts here as, as we see taking place that we might learn from this. The first one that Luke points out are the eyes. And he talks about this with peculiar detail. He says, first of all, the, the crippled man sees Peter and John coming like he would see everybody coming into the temple gates there, and he's going to beg for some money from them. But here's what I find interesting. Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him. I, I find it interesting that Luke's going to designate that this is unique. And it says, hey, and John did too. Both of them didn't just walk by. They looked straight at him. In other words, they saw him for who he was. That's, that's huge. Within, within the Jewish religion, part of going in for prayer was that you had built into your theology that God only accepts the prayers of the holy and righteous people, right? And so part of becoming holy and righteous, they almost saw life around them like they needed to rack up holy points, like it's a video game, right? I got I to gotta get in some holy points here. So you have acts that you would do that would that chalk up more holy points so that maybe my holy points would be high enough so that when I go praise, ding, 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 God, God will accept my prayer. So when notice how the man got to the temple gates. He was put there, it says which means that there were religious people that says, hey, let's go put you at the temple gates. And it's not for the man. It's so that when the people walking into prayer might rack up some more holy points by dropping a few coins into his bucket, they could care less about him. It was more about their own sense of holiness and righteousness that they would give to him. 
Now, there's something we probably could just preach on on all of that in our acts of charity as well, right? There's no such thing as holy points, right? The score has already been rung up in, in your favor by Jesus. We don't do and perform for others in order to receive some sort of merit for ourselves because Christ's merit covers us, right? So Peter and John are walking in, and they see the man by the temple gates, and they're not wondering what this man can give them in terms of their holiness. They don't treat him as something less than. Instead, it says they look straight at him and see him as an equal. That is huge. That is huge. Religion has a way of belittling us as people, of putting us in different stratospheres that because of guilt or abilities that somehow some people are lower than other people. Jesus has no such way. And Jesus' people should have no such way. That here's a man, and it says that they look straight at him. They see him with eyes of grace. That say, hey, you were created in God's image. Jesus died for you. It doesn't matter who you are. You have immense value in the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to put this, I want you to put this in your own world, all right? If you take dad out for lunch today and you're in downtown San Diego and you pass a homeless man on the street, that homeless man has no less value than you do. Does that make sense? And how quickly it is that we want to place a sense of value on someone. And that man does have value. And it's the same as yours. So Jesus so moved within Peter and John that when Peter and John saw a man that all of their peers had never really stopped to even notice, Luke says that he looked straight at him. It's an act of restoring the man's dignity, which goes along with the second part of, of, of that. He then asked the man, hey, look at us. Now, the man already saw him, and, but you know there's a difference in terms of seeing somebody and actually looking at them. You hear what he's doing. He said, give me your eye contact. You ever met anybody whose dignity is just robbed from them, who feel like they're less than or they're not important to be around? The last thing they want to do is look you in the eyes, right? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you feel like that now, and you need to hear the king of kings saying you have immense value. And so it was a gift when Peter says, hey, look at me. He's offering the man a gift of dignity, saying, hey, you're worth me looking. You're worth my time. You're worth my eye contact. You're worth my human-to-human interaction with you. You have value. You're not just a, a subject placed at the, at the gates. You're somebody's son, right? You're somebody's brother. You're, you were created in the image of a holy God. You have value. So look at me. Look at me. So the man looks up, it says, and he looks them in the eyes. And I love that it says he gives them his attention because he's expecting something from them. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the times when I read that, I read that negatively. He's expecting something from them. The guy's at the temple gates because he's expecting something from everybody. He's hoping everybody would drop a few coins in, Right? What other job does he, he doesn't have the capability, particularly in that society, there are no resources for him. This is, so instead of us immediately going to the negative here, I think it's actually something miraculous that happens in a man that had lost all hope with his eyes down at the ground, that for the first time something stirs within him, that he, it, it got him out of his routine of begging, hey, drop a few coins, and then he's looking, somebody's talking to me. And I think there's actually that, that he's expecting something from them as actually a, a, a message of hope there. 
that the guy's looking at him, maybe these guys have something more for me. Now, he has no clue that they're about to heal him. They have, he has no understanding what they really have for him. But I love that, that it says that he sees them. So you have, you have Peter and John looking at him through, through eyes of grace, and all of a sudden you have him looking at them through eyes of hope, which is a powerful way of seeing things. And, and it begins to stir, and it sets the, the ground stage here for uh, what, what is about to happen. Now, uh, let, let's chat because I think we could just hit pause here and say, I think all of us will, will see life from one of these two perspectives at some point. At some point, you will be the person doing the ministering of kindness to somebody else, right? I hope you will be. And when you do, may you and I see through the eyes of Peter and John. That, that don't dehumanize whomever it is that we're serving. That don't treat them as less than, but, but offers them the gift of dignity even while we serve. That says, hey, look at me. Hey, you have value. I don't know if anybody else has told you this today, but you, you have value. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I get to spend time with you. If, if you're here this morning and, and you feel less than that, then I, I apologize profusely. May, may we change that this afternoon. And on the flip hand, you, flip side, you, I think flip hand is that other hand, flip side, flip hand. <laughs> on the flip hand, you, that sounds bad when you really say it that way, doesn't it? Like, you might be the person at times receiving kindness from other people. You know what I love is the man could have recoiled in pride. He could have, have pulled back in pride, but he doesn't. And he looks with eyes of hope to receive. I think one of the biggest acts of grace we can do, it's hard because of our pride to receive help from other people. Oh, we have no problem wanting to help other people because that feels good. But it often doesn't feel good to receive help from other people because then we feel less than in that moment. And I think the enemy actually robs us from experiencing the love of God through other people when through pride he keeps us from actually getting to the place of anticipation to expect help from other people. Does that make sense? So when, when those situations arise, may we, regardless of which side of we're, we're on. May we have the eyes that are seeing in this moment. Because God stirs in the, in the midst of this grace and hope and how they're seeing each other. Then the next body part you see there is that Peter is looking at him and the man is looking at them expecting. And Peter says this beautiful line of, hey man, we're poor. I don't have any money to give you. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then he reaches out his right hand and he helped the man stand to his feet. How beautiful of a moment is that? And here's, here's what I love. He has eyes to see and he has hands to respond in that moment. I want to talk about the anatomy of ministry. That's it. Anatomy 101. Have eyes to see people and have hands that are willing to respond out of faithfulness. 
right? And so I love that, that he extends that hand out to take the man and he touches him. Even though in all of Jewish law, the man was probably unclean un, un, thousands of different ways, and yet he could care less because Peter and John know that they have been made clean by Jesus. They didn't need religious, religious clean laws to make them clean. So he reached, again, a res- restoration of dignity, touches the man, helps him up to his feet. A man that hasn't stood, he's born this way and has, has not experienced a healthy feeling in his life, and yet he, he stands. I, I've been chewing on this, on this topic for a little bit, <laughs> because let's, let's chat real quick about, about God healing in miraculous ways, shall we? Can God still do this today? Let me ask that again. Can God still do this today? Okay. I, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here, right? And what I love about this, and, and, and I've, I've been studying and reading up on, on people who have testimonies of God doing and stirring in, in major ways, and in my cynical heart, I, I read them going baloney, and it's not, and then, and then I feel the conviction of God of why do I doubt? Of, of why do I doubt? Am I the only cynical person in the room? Can we just get honest with each other? Right? I love Peter's faithfulness in this moment. That before the man's feet are healed, in the storyline here, here yet, the man's feet aren't healed yet. So before the miracle happens, Peter's hand is responding in faith because he believes. Oh my goodness, that's beautiful. And his hand follows what he believes. Let me say that again. His hand follows what he believes. In Romans, Paul talks about this. He says, hey, the mind that is set on the flesh will do fleshy things. And the mind that is set on the Holy Spirit will do spiritual things. That our hands follow what we have our mind and heart set on. Does that make sense? And so Peter, here in this moment, is obviously having a conversation with God. I don't know what that conversation is, but God has stirred. God wants to show up. I don't think this is a magical canontation now that we can go and heal every crippled person that we meet by saying in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. Notice that there, was, there wasn't all the crippled men in that city healed in one day. God didn't do it for everyone in that moment. He wanted to move in this man, in this moment. Can I blow your mind a little bit more? This blew my mind. I had never thought about this until a commentary brought it up this week. This man has been placed at the temple gates uh, many, many, many times. In all likelihood, do you want to know who probably passed by this man and chose not to heal him? Jesus himself. What? And yet Jesus knew there would be a day that, hey, I am going to heal you, and in my name I will heal you, and it is going to bring about in my timing and with my will and my sovereignty, it'll bring about a gigantic movement of the church. And yet, so Jesus chose in that time when he walked by the man that he didn't heal him. That blew my mind. Can we get real honest about what makes us uncomfortable with healings? It's because all of us have prayed for the healing of somebody in our lives and it did not come about. Can we get real with that? And we don't like talking about a God who is capable of healing in his own power because then it really gets over to what we'll get mad about and we're going to get back into the last sermon series in The Elephant in the Soul, right? Where we go, how come you didn't heal when I asked you to heal? And what we need to see is God heals in his own sovereign will and his own sovereign power. That's his business. 
All right? His capability. And, and ultimately, ultimately, what God's biggest, greatest will is, the biggest miraculous healing that anybody that, that calls themselves a Christian and has life in them, you have received healing. It is the ultimate healing of what God is after. And that's the healing of salvation. To have a dead soul come to life with Jesus. That's miraculous every time it happens. And I think we will downplay it on this side of heaven because we have yet to taste what the spiritual side on the other side of heaven is like. And one day we will all dance before God and go, you performed a miracle in my life. And that which was dead, you made alive. Does that make sense? But at times we lose sight of that and God decides to stir in a physical way to point us to a spiritual reality. And that's God's sovereignty. And I don't know why he chooses to do it. I would love, wouldn't you love to have the ability to just say, hey, whoo, be healed, and somebody walks out healing. Right? But that's, that's not how. In fact, we'll come across a story later in Acts where a magician straight up asked Peter and John for that, right? Hey, can I have that magical power? That looks awesome. But that's not how. But here's what I do know. That while we need to temper our prayers with acceptance of God's sovereignty, we also need to pray with the expectation that God can. Does that make sense? And in the balance of that, I think you find the beauty of faith. You can if you will. You hear that in, 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 in the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. Do you remember that story of the men thrown into the fire? Do you remember what the men tell the, 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 the emperor as they're getting ready to be thrown in the fire? Do you remember? That my God can save me. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to praise his name. That's faith 101, right? It is tempered prayer of expectation and complete faithfulness in his sovereignty. And that's the powerful place of prayer. So I don't know what is happening within Peter in this moment. In, in reading of those uh, who give testimony of, of, that have experienced the gift of God healing, God's healing in miraculous ways on mission fields and, and in churches, I, I, my understanding is what they say is that, that it's not like I decide I'm going to heal Jimmy and I ask God, hey God, hey, let's heal Jimmy today. That the other way around happens, that God stirs in that moment and says, I want to move through you to heal Jimmy. He, they listen to that. They respond to that in faithfulness and prayer. Does that make sense? And so I believe you can see that happening here, that they look straight at the man. The, the, they, they're listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit stirs. He reaches out his hand. He pulls the man. And the next body part we see is that the ankles and the feet begin to, to heal. Look at what they, it says. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Then I love this part. He jumped to his feet. You know what? Probably the one action he's been watching his whole life going, what would that feel like? And God took something that was dead, his ankles and his feet, and he made them come to life. He took something that was broken, and he made it come to life. And we give that so much attention because it's a physical thing that we can see. Can I tell you that God is regularly in the business of taking broken things and healing them? But most of the miraculous happens within. When he takes people addicted and he breaks chains of addictions. When he takes people whose marriage is dead and gone and he restores love where it should have been dead. 
when he takes hearts that are so broken and wounded and hurt by other people around them, and he makes them come to life again. Across this room, there is testimony a testimony that could be given of the miraculous power of God. And yet I think we don't hear it because we don't do what this guy does. The first thing he does when he is healed by God, he jumps to his feet and he runs into worship. And he is dancing. Jumping around, dancing around. Wouldn't you? If you've never been able to jump before and suddenly you have Michael Jordan legs, right? You're jumping all over the place. You are excited. Look what I can do. Like a little kid saying, oh my gosh. And he is before God. It reminds me of the story in the Old Testament where, where David is dancing before the Ark of the Covenant, right? And his wife says, calm down. He said, I am not going to be calm. I am worshiping God right now. He could care less what other people think about him. He is worshiping God and others need to see what God has done in his life. I think because so often we are worried about what other people think. We hold back our praise from God. That other people might see that I'm actually excited about the amazing thing that God has done within me. But look what happens when this man, through the testimony of his feet, begins dancing before God about what God has healed within him, what happens within the hearts of the people that witness it. It says they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. They, in their hearts, experienced a change because of what happened in his feet, because his feet didn't hold back their praise. And I think, I just want to throw this out here. If you have a story of God doing something in your life and bringing about life where it ought to have been dead, if that is a story of, of a broken heart that is healed, of, of addictions that has fallen off, then we need to hear it as the church. Why do you hold, your feet are holding back their praise and the hearts of the people are not filled with wonder because of it. Does that make sense? I had coffee this week. Marietta here. She'll probably be your second service. She, I don't, have you seen her? Uh, Marietta, I'm looking at you, Ruth. You're, 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 okay, thank you. You were part of this story, right? Right here, right here. Um, you're looking around. Who, me? <laughs> I love this. Um, Marietta had a moment with God here. Ruth Ann saw it. We respond. We pray with her. Marietta comes and, and shares with me her story. I go, holy cow, that's an amazing story. The church needs to hear it. We got it on video several weeks ago. We showed that video. And when I heard the testimony of a, of a man in the church this week who said, the last time I felt God stir in my heart in a big, gigantic way when I was watching Marietta's video. And I just thought, that's this passage, isn't it? of somebody whose feet did not hold back their praise. And somebody else's heart got to experience the wonder of that. And so now that man is longing for God to move in his life the way that he had moved in Mary. That is life, and you can trace it back. So let me say this, that if you have a story that we need to hear as a church, please share it. Please share it. Come tell me. Let's get it on video. Let's share it that we made all praise. Now, I went too long this morning, but I want to end with some role play. Matt, if you'll bring the band up. I want you to end this way. Close your eyes and picture yourself as the crippled beggar. That man had shown up at the temple gates 
So many times he was just in routine. He was in the sound of worship all around him, and yet it was just routine. And yet something happened that day, and my favorite word in this whole passage is the word attention, that he gave Peter and John his attention. What would it take for God to get your attention today? To break you out of the routine, to break me out of the routine of just showing up and being in the sound of praise. Because here's the reality, before God, we were all crippled beggars. We all have something broken inside of us. So what is it that is broken within you? What, what addictions are there? What hurts are there? What, what, what sins are there? What, what things are broken inside of you that because of pride you were trying to hold back? And what does God need to do this morning to get your attention? To say, look at me. The God who heals wants to step down into that brokenness and bring about life. So what I want to do this morning is to give God our attention and ask him to do that. Let me say a particular thing to men in the room and particularly to fathers in the room. I can't tell you how many times over my ministry I have sat with people who have been wounded by fathers who themselves were wounded and they never let God deal with that. Can we just confess pride together in the room, men? We don't like to talk about our brokenness. We like to hide it and act like we've got it together. Can we just call a spade a spade? I am broken and in need of the healing hand of God. You are broken in need. May God step past the pride walls that we build up. Tear them down. And may he begin to deal with each of us in his grace and tenderness. And may we have the feet to praise. Father, we come before you this morning in a time of response. In a time of response. And like the crippled beggar holding up his hands expecting something, not knowing what that is, just expecting something because Peter and John had arrested his attention, God. We, we pray that you might stir in us now in a, in a faithfulness that arrests our attention that we might expect something from you. That we might believe that you have the power to step down into our, our deepest hurts, our greatest shames, our most hidden sins and bring about life to that which was dead and healing to that which was broken. Now God, grant us feet to praise your name this morning. Do me a favor and stand to your feet. I want you to hold your hands out in front of you, please. a physical posture of receiving of receiving from God we're just going to enter into a time of worship and, and Holy Spirit we are just asking for you to stir to do what only you can do as we give you our praise